The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you. Simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host. Today is Christmas Day, so happy Christmas, everybody. And we continue our tradition on this show with Dr. Peter Hammond of Dr. Peter's Hammond's Christmas message today for 2023, entitled "Unto Us a Child is Born." So, Peter, are you with us? I am with you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. What a wonderful time of the year. It is. And my favorite verse is from of Christmas is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And I'm sure any of us who've heard Handel's Messiah Recall how this verse is pounded out in such inspiring tones as part of Handel's Messiah. Well, surprisingly, I had the chance to quote this very verse and expound it in a mosque just this last weekend. On Saturday, I was actually invited to a Christmas celebration in a mosque in Cape Town. And a professor from the Oxford Institute for British Islam was organizing this extraordinary event in Cape Town. And he had Christian hymns and carols sung in Arabic by Christian congregations in Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq, put on the screen, which came from Sat7. Satellite 7 is a mission initiative in the Middle East to bring the gospel to people in the Middle East, and they often are filming um, Christmas events in different uh, churches around the Middle East and then broadcasting it even wider. Of course, Arabic's the primary medium, but they also have a Farsi or Persian um, channel and they also have one in Turkish as well and they've also got a children's program but um, channel so um, Sat7 I remember hearing about this years ago something like 25 years ago or more as on the Dulos ship the missionary ship Dulos MV Dulos off the coast of South Africa in a highly secret missions mobilization planning meeting George Verver of Operation Mobilization others were there and uh, we were discussing how to reach the Muslim Middle East. And somebody came up with a strategy of Sat7, Satellite 7, using satellite TV to reach people in the Middle East with the gospel. And I made a sarcastic comment saying, well, how many um, people in the Middle East have access to satellite dishes? And uh, the 
man consulted his papers and he said about 50 million. I said, what do you mean 50 million? Are you telling me Bedouins are traveling around the desert with a satellite dish on the back of their camels? He said, well, actually, yes, they are. And uh, since then, the amount of people with access to satellite TV has increased exponentially. And we've even had missionaries of ours preaching in the Middle East in churches where Sat7 cameras were filming the service and the choirs and everything to later on broadcast it to reach people in the Middle East. So I had this extraordinary experience of seeing Christian hymns and carols uh, sung by Christian congregations in the Middle East, persecuted churches, being broadcast in a mosque in Cape Town for a Christmas celebration. Now, that's remarkable enough. But once I was actually there, I was even invited to speak to everyone in attendance. So I used the opportunity to quote this verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And amazingly, I wasn't thrown out of the mosque. Nobody shouted and screamed, even though there were people there wearing jalabas, long robes, and their um, fez caps. I expound the fact that there is no peace without the Prince of Peace, and the United Nations doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of bringing peace anywhere. They can't even bring peace to Somalia or Yugoslavia. What makes you think they can bring peace to the world? And the plagiarism outside the United Nations, taking a verse from Isaiah, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and they shall not make war anymore. That comes from Isaiah and it's a messianic prophecy. It's fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the UN has no chance of bringing peace. In fact, they're not part of the solution, they're part of the problem. And there was a lot of agreement to that. As we uh, Then I pointed them to the premier example of this verse being applied, and that's the Christmas truce of the First World War. And if so many soldiers on all sides of a destructive world war could stop fighting, lay down their rifles, come out of their trenches, and embrace their enemies, celebrating Christmas with their enemies, perhaps we can do the same with our family members and our neighbors. And uh, there was a lot of laughter about that because the people know that sometimes getting together with your family members on Christmas can be a difficult event. There's so much hatred and animosity in the world, and we can point to a lot of things wrong in the world and in the churches and the mosques, but nobody can point to anything wrong with Jesus Christ. And everyone in the mosque nodded. Jesus was and is the only perfect person who ever lived. Even the Quran teaches Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a holy life. He was without sin. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus raised the dead. He made the dumb to speak. He made the deaf to hear. He made the lame to walk. He he healed the cripples. He worked miracles. Jesus even created life. The Quran identifies Jesus as the Word of God and as the Messiah. And the Lord Jesus Christ commands us to love our neighbor and to even love our enemies. He also commands us to be humble and to be self-critical. So I gave the parable that I've used many a time uh, in Muslim homes, but the first time being able to proclaim it in a mosque. The teachings of our Lord Jesus, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader, who lifted up his hands at the front of the temple and declared he thanked God he was not like other men. He fasted twice a week. He gave tithes on all that he owned. He was not like that despised tax collector over there. The tax collector could not even raise his eyes. He just beat his chest declaring, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Lord Jesus taught that the religious leader prayed to himself and his prayer was not accepted by God. But the humble prayer of the tax collector was accepted by God, and he went away forgiven by God.
And Lord Jesus Christ taught us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. To do to others, we would have them do to us. To forgive and to give. Freely you've received, freely, freely give. And I proclaim this in this mosque and encourage the people to turn to Christ and to turn to the Gospels and to find an example of Jesus, the solution to the problems afflicting our world. And I also stated that there's no political or military solution to the Middle East um, and the conflicts in the world. The solution is a missionary solution. We need to bring the gospel into these situations. And that it's important that instead of responding with hate, we need to respond with the love of Christ. Instead of bombing people, we need to respond with Bibles. We need to bring people back to the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He is the Messiah. He is the message of God. And of course, the term used for Jesus in the Quran is Nabi Isa or the prophet Jesus, the messenger Jesus. And interestingly enough, uh, even the imam there, um, this Dr. Taj um, Hagi, he pointed out that in the Quran, Muhammad is only referred to four times, but the prophet Jesus is referred to over 40 times in the Quran. In fact, there's 93 verses or surahs in the Quran that refer to the Lord Jesus. He's referred to by as Nabi Isa, 25 times by the name Isa, third person he's referred to 48 times, and first person where uh, Prophet Jesus speaks directly is 35 times. So there's well over 100 references to the Lord Jesus in the Quran. And as we pointed out, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they haven't believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The Christmas season offers us unique opportunities to witness for Christ. I would not have thought that even a mosque would invite one to speak on Christ during Christmas season. But such is the power of our Lord Jesus that even in times of war, opposing forces have come out of their trenches and, and stopped fighting. My father, who was in the Eighth Army, he fought all six years of the Second World War in the Eighth Army under Field Marshal Montgomery, North Africa and, and Italy. Uh, my father mentioned that even North Africa, they had Christmas truces. They would not fight on Christmas Eve. They'd sing Christmas carols and the Africa Corps would join in with them singing Silent Night and they Come All You Faithful and other great hymns. And they would swap ration packs and show pictures of their families to one another in no man's land, play soccer together on Christmas Day. This didn't just happen in the First World War. My father told me it happened in North Africa in the Second World War as well. And the scripture is clear that the message of the Lord Jesus brings hope for the future, brings peace, goodwill towards men, peace on earth. There's no other name or message in the world that could bring hostile armies to a standstill and to peace and to come out of their trenches in times of war. Only the Lord Jesus could do it. And interestingly, we've known for some time about the Christmas truce in the Western Front, where over 100,000 German, British and French troops took part in this unofficial ending of fighting. But interestingly, uh, research has now come out that there was a general ceasefire across the whole of the Eastern Front as well. With the exception of Serbia, where they continued fighting, um, there was a two-week Christmas truce in the Eastern Front, which the Russian, German, and Austrian commanders ordered. So whereas in the Western Front, it was from the ground up at the Officers forbade it and the soldiers on the ground observed it. In the Eastern Front, the German, Austrian and, and Russian commanders ordered 
No hostile actions, no offensive actions. Do not fire unless fired upon for the whole two weeks of Christmas. Not just the Western Christmas of 24th and 25th December, but the Eastern Christmas going up to the 6th of January because Orthodox churches celebrate Christmas on the 6th of January. So they maintained a two-week ceasefire ordered from the high commands of both the German, Austrian and Russian um, leaders. And that was observed steadfastly with only the Serbian front maintaining uh, hostilities during the Christmas season. Now, that's absolutely remarkable. And there were other Christmas truce attempts in 1915, 1916, 1917 as well. And there's a 2005 French film, Joyx Noel, which dramatized the Christmas truce in 1914 through the eyes of the French, Scottish and German soldiers on the Western Front. And it's a powerful testimony to the power of the gospel that during such a terrible time of world war, soldiers on so many armies on so many sides could stop fighting, come out of their trenches and embrace their enemies in honor of the Prince of Peace. Without the Prince of Peace, there is no peace. And what we celebrate at Christmas is a miraculous birth. And one of the prophecies was of the miraculous birth of Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's from Isaiah 7 verse 14. So Jesus had a miraculous birth. The Bible is a miraculous book. The Bible is the greatest book ever written. The first book ever to be printed. The Bible has been translated into more languages, printed more times, read by more people than any other book in the history of the world. And the Bible has over 2,000 specific prophecies that have already been fulfilled in history. There's never been anything else in all of history to compare with the Bible's prophecies. And Jesus Christ fulfilled 333 of those prophecies during his ministry on earth. And one of those prophecies being that he would be, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And sacred scripture records the supernatural birth of Christ, that the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary and the power of the highest overshadowed her. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told her that what was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And I just read there from Matthew chapter 1. So a miraculous book predicted the miraculous birth of the most miraculous person in history. And Jesus lived a miraculous life. He healed the sick. He made the crippled walk. He made the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, and the blind to see. He raised the dead. There never was anyone who taught as Jesus taught. And he lived a perfect life. He didn't just speak the truth. He lived it. And he died such a death, an atoning death. He took our sins upon himself. And there's also a miraculous resurrection. His life did not end with his death on the cross. Three days later, he did rise from the dead. The tomb of Christ is empty. Jesus lives today. A miraculous book points to his miraculous birth, which was a prelude to a miraculous life, his atoning death and his miraculous resurrection from the dead. But he has also promised to return again to judge the living and the dead. There's a miraculous return. One day he will return. Will he be your savior or will he be your judge? We don't have a choice of whether we will believe in Christ or turn to Christ or not. The question is, when will we bow to Christ? Today in the day of grace, when the door to heaven is wide open, whosoever will may come, or will we bow on the day of judgment when it's too late for salvation and door to heaven is closed? 
But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was also born a king. Christ was not born a prince or an heir to the throne. He's the only person who's ever been born a king. The wise men came from the east asking, where's the one who's been born king? We have come to worship him. Matthew 2 verse 2. He wasn't born a prince or an heir. He was born a king. Well, King Herod felt that his selfish lifestyle and his political position would be threatened by this newborn babe. So gripped by selfishness and a lust for power, Herod sought to murder the Messiah by massacring all still in the manger in Bethlehem. Everyone loves the birth of a child. Well, almost everyone. Of course, there are some neurotic atheists who prefer abortion to birth, but instead of life, they choose death. Most of us do find a newborn child cute. That's one reason why most people celebrate Christmas. A babe in a manger seems so unthreatening, so harmless. But the scripture goes beyond for unto us a child is born to declaring for unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now this is getting more threatening. This is why Herod declared war in the womb. He saw menace in the manger because the government will be upon his shoulder. And notice in the verse that I read, Isaiah 9 verse 6, it's the government, capital G government. The government will be upon his shoulder. We are being idolatrous and foolish when we write capital G for government. When we refer to civil government, municipal government, royal government, provincial government, republican government, we should use a small g. Capital G for government should be reserved for God. God is the one who determines when the sun rises, when, when you're born, when you die, how you die. God is the one in control of all things. So he is the government, capital G. We must not put capital G for government and small g for gospel. Some people put capital S for state and small s for savior. We must not do that. I think it's so important that we learn to capitalize consciously that which refers to the Lord. When we write scripture or Bible, let's put it in a capital S for scripture, capital B for biblical, and so on. Now, we no longer worship a babe in a cradle. He is the son of God who died on the cross. And the day will come and he'll return to earth wearing the crown of the sovereign Lord of the universe. This is the message of the major, not just of the cradle, but the cross and also the crown. The wood of the cradle should point us to the wood of the cross. He was born to die. But we should look beyond the wood of the cross to the gold of the crown. And uh, the sovereign Lord of the universe, we will one day have to stand before his throne and give an account of our lives to him. Unless we have turned to God in faith and repentance, we will be eternally condemned. So we need to understand the message of the manger. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all aspects of life. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Wonderful Counselor. He is all-knowing. He embodies absolute wisdom. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We are lost. He is the way. We are deceived. He is the truth. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus is the life. He hears our prayers. He guides his people. No one comes to the Father except through him. And he is mighty God. He is all-powerful. He is God himself. Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God. He is fully God and fully man. He is the eternal Father. He is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting, the Alpha and the Omega. As a father, he is compassionate, and he cares, and he provides, and he protects his children. And he is the Prince of Peace. Those politicians who think they can achieve peace without Jesus Christ are deluded. 
Only in Christ will we, as individuals, find true and lasting peace with justice, or as families, or as nations. There's no peace without the Prince of Peace. Now, I think we should take this verse, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, and ask unbelieving Jews and atheists and Jehovah's Witnesses to please explain it to us. Unto us a child is born. We know this is only referring to Christ. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Please explain to us, we should ask our Jewish neighbors and Jehovah's Witness visitors, um, how can you believe in Jesus without believing in his deity, believing that he's part of the Trinity? It's right here in this Christmas verse, which we all say, we sing, and we know. And it's quite clear. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forever. The ultimate victory and triumph of Christ's kingdom is inevitable. Nothing can stop it. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another. It will crush all those kingdoms. It will bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. And this is what the Great Commission calls us to. Our Lord Jesus declared, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's no authority that's not under Christ. That's what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And Isaiah 11 verse 9 declares, The earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, when I first read this, I thought, you know, the world's 70% covered in water. Therefore, we can expect the world to be 70% evangelized. But that's not what Isaiah 11 verse 9 says. It doesn't say as the water covers the earth. It says as the waters cover the sea. Now, how much of the sea is covered in water? Pretty much 100%. So we can expect the world to be 100% evangelized, discipled, and under the authority of Christ. So this is the message of Christmas, not only of a crib, but of a cross, not only of a cross, but of a crown. You recognize that a child has been born. Do you recognize that he is Emmanuel, God with us? Do you submit to his government? Do you obey him as Lord of your life? Is he your wonderful counselor? Is he your mighty God? Is he your everlasting Father? Is he the Prince of Peace in your life? If so, rejoice. His government will never end. His kingdom will endure forever. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And I think that is just so inspiring. And so at this time, we need to be using Christmas as an opportunity for evangelism. We should be asking people, what are you seeking for? Is it fun and friends, fame and fortune? Is it popularity, prestige and power? Have you noticed the impressive large Christmas tree set up in so many shopping malls? And you must have noticed those beautifully wrapped presents piled up under those trees. And you'll see many children's eyes wide as they look at these bright, shiny, shimmering packages, often with attractive red ribbons around them or gold ribbons. What's in those boxes? Over the years, my children, when they were very young, each asked, what is in those boxes? And my answer was absolutely nothing. They're beautifully wrapped, they're attractively presented, but those presents under the Christmas trees in the shopping malls are all empty. The world offers so much, but it all turns out to be empty. The world, the flesh, and the devil promise you everything you could possibly desire. If only you will buy their product or service, you promised all the fun, fame, fortune you could desire. 
all the power, popularity, prestige, and position to your heart could desire. But like those alluring, attractive-looking presents under Christmas trees in the malls, the promises of the world turn out to be disappointingly empty, frustratingly empty. For those who pursue materialism, they will find merry-go-rounds that get them nowhere, mazes that get them lost, dead-end streets that frustrate their desires, hedonism, the living for pleasure, and existentialism, the self-centeredness of just me, myself, and I, just living from my personal experience now, all prove to be short-sighted, meaningless, empty, and purposeless. What are you searching for? What, are you, what is your purpose in life? We should ask ourselves and we should ask our friends and neighbors and family members, what is in the boxes you've been obtaining from the world? Do not waste your life on the empty boxes of this world. The time-wasting treadmills of trends, fashions, and fads are ultimately frustrating. Do not settle for less than God's very best. God gives the best to those that leave the choice to him. And you shall seek me and you shall find me when you search me with all your heart. So we should be asking, what are you searching for in life? What is the ultimate purpose? The catechism say, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So Christmas should remind us of the danger of missing out on what was most important in the Bible. And we, we read how there was no room for them in the inn. That's uh, absolutely shocking to think that what happened to the mayor of, of Bethlehem? The mayor of Bethlehem wasn't there. Where, were, where was the high priest? Where was the king? Where were all the priests of the temple? Where were the thousands of Jewish religious leaders in the temple, who, which was meant to exist for the purpose of the Messiah? When the Messiah was born, not one of them was there. Not one priest, not one of the temple workers, not the high priest, not the mayor, not one of the leading uh, citizens of Bethlehem was there. In fact, there was no room for Jesus in any of the inns or homes of Bethlehem. The people of Bethlehem missed out on the greatest event, not just of their time, but of all time. They could have hosted the Holy Family. The Lord Jesus could have been born in their home or in their inn, but there was no place for him in the inn. Today, there's no place for Jesus in the UN. And uh, we need to ask people again, uh, what is your purpose? What are you seeking for? Is there room in your heart for Jesus? Wise men still seek Christ. And I think that's an important, vital message in any Christmas to ask people, what are you really seeking for? Um, what's your purpose in life? And is there room in your heart for Jesus? So as we have this Christmas season, and um, I'm sure some people might be dreading a Christmas lunch with some family members. There's Every family's got a few dreaded individuals who make life difficult. And uh, I think the Christmas truce can be an excellent example that if hostile armies of all sides in a terrible world war could stop fighting and come out of their trenches and celebrate Christmas with their enemies, maybe we can get on with our uh, difficult friends, neighbors, or family members for this Christmas lunch. Christmas is a wonderful time for giving and for forgiving. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Fascinating message as always. We still have a little bit of time now. Um, it's funny, really, because I was one of those people that, well, originally I always felt, you know, I was brought up that Jesus Christ was born on December the 25th. And then as I started getting into the independent media, even people like Tex Mars, who was uh, 
strict follower of the King James Bible. He said it had to go through the King James. He was saying, at some of the shows I've been listening to going through his archives, that, okay, he wasn't born at that time, but it's still important we honour him at that time of year and things like that. But you're the only person that I know, you know, who's prominent that not only claims that Jesus Christ was born on December the 25th, but also you give a voluminous amount of evidence from the Bible that he is. Do you have that information to hand that you could relate to the audience? I, I do indeed. In fact, I think it's so important because one of the more uh, recent traditions that we've come across uh, in um, recent society is the repeated assertions on the internet and in the press and from some pulpits the 25th of December could not have been the Lord's actual birthday. According to this position, he could have been born almost any other day of the year except 25 December. It's asserted that 25 December was a pagan winter solstice festival, the longest night of the year, the shortest day of the year. And the Christians overtook this date to promote the new faith. And in doing so, a lot of old pagan customs crept into this new Christian presentation celebration. But... Um, this opinion is based on historical myths and incomplete research and actually ignorance of history. Christians have celebrated the Nativity and the Incarnation of Christ on 25 December since the earlier centuries. Long before the conversion of the Emperor Constantine in 312 AD and the end of the persecution of the Roman Empire, 25 December was already established as a venerable tenured tradition for celebrating Christmas Day. And the assertion that it's a creation of the Roman Catholic Church and that it's something to do with the Mass is false. It's not Christmas with two S's, it's Christmas, the Christ Festival, and it predates the establishment of what became Roman Catholicism. Now it is true that one Roman Emperor, Aurelian, did attempt to inaugurate the 25th of December as a pagan festival, the birth of the unconquered son, but this was in 274 AD. Aurelian was attempting to breathe new life into the already declining paganism, which had been devastated by the advance of Christianity. But the pagan Roman festival was instituted after Christians had already been celebrating the birth of Christ on that day, 25 December, for many decades. And their pagan festival was an attempt to create an alternative tradition, which was already associated with the birth of Christ and of significance to Christians. This isn't a case of Christians imitating the pagans. It's a case of pagans attempting to imitate the Christians by celebrating the sun on a day when Christians worshipped and celebrate the Son of God. Just like we've had Christmas as a Christian tradition for centuries, and recently they've tried to bring in Xmas and a very secularized Santa Claus orientated, a new relig uh, secular religious tradition which basically sidelines Christ. In the same way that you've seen how Christian festivals of today, where Easter suddenly resurrection has turned into Easter bunnies and forgetting about the resurrection of Christ and the empty tomb. So you've got, in the past, you also had paganism attempting to hijack a successful Christian um, holiday. But according to the second century church councils, which were established to establish the date of Christ's birth and the date of his death and resurrection, um, we can know for certainty when the Lord was born. And there's some extraordinary um, evidence on this. And uh, what we've got is people who've been saying uh, on so many ways, well, it cannot be December the 25th. And how do you know? Well, we know from Luke 2 verse 6, the days were accomplished when Mary should be delivered. 
So we can assume that Jesus was a full-term baby born nine months after his conception. Well, um, Luke 1.26 says, Gabriel announced the conception of Jesus to Mary in the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. So Jesus was conceived six months after John the Baptist was conceived and born six months after John the Baptist was born. So when was John the Baptist conceived? Well, his father was Zacharias, a Levite priest in the course of Abia or Abijah, according to Luke 1 verse 5. So according to 1 Chronicles 24, 7 to 19, King David had divided the priests into 24 orders, and these orders took turns serving in the temple for a period of eight days, twice a year, separate from their wives and children. During the, the during Zacharias and the other priests of the course of Abijah, they served during the 10th and 24th weeks of the Jewish year. So we read in Luke 1 verse 8 that the angel of the Lord spoke to Zacharias while he was executing the priest's office before God in the order of his course. That is, he was performing his service in the temple. Now, after his course was finished, he left the temple, returned to Elizabeth, and John was conceived. We read in Luke 1, 23, 24. If this were after the second course, that is, after 24th week of the year, John would have been conceived around September or October and born in June or July. And Jesus' conception six months later would have been around March or April, and his birth December or January. Now, um, this is interesting because early church councils came to this conclusion. St. John Chrysostom, the goldmouth, the patriarch of, of uh, Constantinople, the largest church in the world at that time in the 4th century, St. John Chrysostom uh, strongly argued for a 25 December date, birth date on this basis and also on the basis of census um, uh, records that were available at the time, which have since been destroyed. Bishop Cyril of Jerusalem in the 4th century asked Julius to establish the date of Christ's birth from the census documents brought by Titus to Rome after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And Julius determined the date of Christ's birth to be 25 December as well. And then you've got Justin Martyr uh, in the 2nd century also uh, in his detailed statement of the Christian faith addressed to Emperor Marcus Aurelius stating, Christ was born in Bethlehem, as you can ascertain from the registers of the taxing, and this is in his apology, and Tertullian wrote of the census of Augustus, that most faithful witness of the Lord's nativity, kept in the archives of Rome. This you read in the Contra Marcion book. So uh, you've got church fathers like Tertullian and, um, and Justin Martyr, and you've got Chrysostom, Cyril, and Julius, all arguing for 25 December. Now, they were much closer to the event. They had access to documents and census documents that we do not have today. And we've got to assume that the church fathers had access to information we don't possess and that they knew what they were talking about. They were closer to the events at hand uh, than we are, and they had access to more information than we have available. So we should trust uh, the decision they made. And it's extraordinary arrogance that we've got of people today who have not even researched the subject much, assuming that we in the 20th century are more, or in the 21st century now, are more knowledgeable about things in the first century than the people who lived closer to the events on the location did. And that is arrogant. Now, amongst the many things that people have forgotten is the fact that um, the new year used to start on 25th of March. 25th of March was the first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere. And that's why you will notice our month, September, September 7, October, October is 8, November, November is 9,
December, December is 10, 10th month. Now, that only makes sense if the New Year started on the 25th of March. And people used to date, just like in the Bible days, a day was dated from sunset to sunrise. So, uh, f well, from sunset to sunset. So the day started not um, uh, at midnight because you could only do that once you had clocks. But before clocks, days were ascertained as to uh, from the sunset, the day started. And that's why Jesus was born in the darkness after sunset on Christmas Eve, which is why um, German and Scandinavian uh, families celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas morning because Jesus was not born in the daylight. He was born at night. Uh, the stars and the, the shepherds coming and all that uh, testifies that too. The scripture is very clear. Jesus was born at night. And that's why in Germanic and Scandinavian countries, uh, Christmas is celebrated in Christmas Eve because Jesus was born at the beginning of Christmas Day, which would have been from the sunset on the 24th. Um, 25 December would have started at sunset, not at midnight. And New Year's Day moved from 25 March, the first day of spring, to the 1st of January uh, because of the discovery of the Southern Hemisphere. And of course, you can't just have everything dating from Northern Hemisphere. Um, right now, you might have winter, but we've got summer. Uh, we're in short sleeves and in very hot temperatures here in Cape Town. Uh, we're in Africa, and uh, of course, we can have snow at the equator on the tops of mountains like Mount Kilimanjaro because of um, the in incredible uh, heights of some of those mountains. But generally speaking, people are very hot at this time of the year in Africa. And so 1st of January was chosen um, back in 1600 in Scotland and 1752 in England. And so if you look at some old history books, sometimes you get dates disagreeing in the first three months of the year as to whether it was this year or the next year, because are they working according to what year it was at the time it happened, or according to our present calendar, where January the 1st, the first day of the year, as opposed to 25 March. So uh, from the 1st of January in, in the 17th century, 1st January began to be celebrated in Christian nations as a day of renewal. Now, why 1st of January? Because that was eight days after Christmas Day, Jesus was circumcised and came under the law eight days after his birth. And so 1st January was chosen also with Christian uh, concerns and dates around our Lord Jesus. And 25 December occurred in Northern Hemisphere in the darkest time of the year. 25 December was the longest night and the shortest day of the year back uh, when the Lord was born. Of course, the calendar's moved just slightly since then. So the early church established that the incarnation, when Christ was conceived, occurred on the first day of spring, the 25th of March, and his advent occurred when he was born in the darkest time during the longest night of the year on the 25th of December. As Isaiah 9 says, And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So it's remarkable how so many people today with no historic research and no understanding of the historic complexities and realities of 2,000 years ago can assume they know better than the learned men and the church councils which convene much closer events in question for the express purpose of ascertaining the most accurate dates of Christ's birth, crucifixion, resurrection. We're living in an age when everything is being questioned, even God's law and the word of God, and cancel culture as part of an anti-Christian agenda to get rid of everything Christian. I would not be so quick to accept what the world's telling us on anything, but especially when they're trying to move us off 
BC and AD, before Christ and AD. It's such a powerful testimony to the centrality and the importance of Christ that our entire calendar is dated around when Christ came to this world, that his birth, his incarnation, took the river of the ages out of their courses. It's the hinge of history. Everything is dated to before Christ and after Christ, and a dominant years of our Lord, as opposed to today people trying the CE and C and uh, BCE business. We should reject that. Why should we want to change our Christian calendar? And when people say this is 2023, 2023 what? 2023 years in the year of our Lord, A.D., Anno Domini. Um, it is the Lord's birth that has ascertained uh, how we even date our years. And so even an atheist when he writes a date has to acknowledge Christ. The other thing that's important is that your calendars should show that Sunday is the first day of the week because it's quite clear Jesus um, rose from dead on the first day of the week. And, and the first day of the week is to be the Christian Sabbath now because it was on the first day of the week that the Lord sent the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost. The first day of the week is the beginning of our work week. We don't but date our, our we don't worship the Lord on the last day of the week like the Jews do. We worship him on the first day of the week. We're not just remembering creation, we're remembering recreation. And so it's important for us to keep things right. Your calendar should not start with Monday. We're speaking about Monday being the first day of the week. That's not Christian. Sunday's the first day of the week. We don't give God the last fruits, we give him the first fruits. The first day of the week is the day of rest. And that's based on how the Lord has revealed um, his Sabbath and his resurrection, and even the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, first day of the week. So Christmas is a time to celebrate Christ's victory. He's the victor of a paganism. And New Year's Day is a time to renew our vows and our vision and our vocation. The first day of spring should be to celebrate the life of Christ. Christmas presents us with tremendous opportunities for evangelism and discipleship of family and friends and neighbors and strangers. So we should remind people whose birth to be celebrating Jesus is the reason for the season, wise men still seek Christ. And if you're wanting this documentation that I'm speaking about, I've got a whole series of articles on Christmas that people can access on our frontlinemissionsa.org website. And if you look under articles, there's a category of Christmas articles. There's a whole series, including, could Jesus really have been born on 25 December? And if somebody specifically wants these verses and these arguments, I will gladly send it to them if a person emails me to Peter at frontline.org.za. I will gladly send them these articles in question. And if they want to go onto the frontlinemissionsa.org website, I trust they'll find these articles under our Christmas articles resources, uh, which is part of the drop-down banner on frontlinemissionsa.org. Thank you, Andrew. Back to you. Thank you, Peter. And um, just a message for uh, what would you say to people who... Uh, like myself this year, be the first time since my mother's gone into a home. I might pop over there to see her, but it's not going to be like spending a number of days with her as I have done uh, in all the recent Christmases I can remember because I've got the train over there and stayed there for a few days. I might just pop in and pop out uh, if indeed I go because I will be seeing her on Boxing Day, which is December the 26th, the day after I need to speak to the manager to see if she thinks it's a good thing to pop in or not uh, but for those people who don't even have that option and they're going to be on their own on christmas day how would you suggest that they uh that, that, that they plan their christmas day so as not to feel lonely or isolated from those people that have got christmas to celebrate amongst loved ones yes i think for for many of us christmas is also a time of of grieving and mourning um lost loved ones 
my father died on Christmas Eve back in 1986, and that's a long time ago, but it still um, hurts me at Christmas that my father's not there. My mother died in 2001, and missing her, it's hard, and of course, I lost my wife, Lenora, two years ago. So Christmas isn't the same when you're missing so many loved ones. I would highly recommend um, listening to Handel's Messiah. I think Handel's Messiah is absolutely magnificent. It's it's become very traditional for Easter, but it was, of course, originally designed as a Christmas celebration. And it's got so many great uh, verses from, it's all scripture being sung, Handel's Messiah. And my wife and daughter have many a time sung Handel's Messiah in concerts in some of the greatest cathedrals and churches in Cape Town. And what a wonderful privilege it has been to attend that. If you have the opportunity to attend a Handel's Messiah presentation in some nearby church, obviously that's great. But um, you can obtain it online and listen to it in your home. I think that's great. There's also some excellent films that I highly recommend. Uh, the Nativity Story was a very well-made uh, dramatic film recently. Um, the Nativity Story is a powerful dramatic film on, on the birth of Christ. Of course, uh, Ben-Hur is absolutely tremendous. Jesus of Nazareth and uh, the Jesus films are also excellent to watch at this time. Um, there's also Joyx Noel, the um, Merry Christmas uh, film that's in French, in English and German, but it's got subtitles. Well worth uh, watching on the Christmas truce. I think that's extremely uplifting. And um, if anyone hasn't seen it, I think that's a wonderful way to to um, um, remember Christmas at this particular time. So Joyx Noel and if you go onto the Frontline website, or if, if you're on Facebook and you go onto my page, I've got links to all of these. I've got links to um, some great Christmas flash mobs in the Middle East, for example, where um, Christians have gone into a shopping mall and sung about Christ, or they've gone into a hospital in Beirut and sing about Christ. And these have been uh, screen, filmed and screened by Sat7. So if you go on and you just put something like flash mob Christmas, Beirut or Flash Mob Christmas, um, uh, and you'll get other ones where other church choirs have gone into shopping centers and started seeing Handel's Messiah, something like that, in the middle of a shopping mall. And, and it's extraordinary the overwhelmingly positive response you get from strangers, even in these public places when Christians start to celebrate Christ during Christmas season. We have unique opportunities. The fact that I could proclaim the gospel in a mosque, um, uh, just last weekend just shows how even Muslims are more open for Christmas because they respect Jesus. I had this imam at this church, uh, Dr. Taj, say, you cannot be a Muslim without respecting Jesus. The Quran gives the highest respect to Jesus. In fact, the Quran even mentions Jesus more than it mentions Muhammad. You just dropped out. Peter, yeah, it's just trying to reconnect. Let's uh, hope we can get Peter back. Um, so let's just see. Uh, Peter, are you with us? Okay, uh, let me hang up and reconnect. Uh, if not, then I will uh, try. I will actually finish the show myself because there's something that I can do on my own to uh, finish the show off. So just trying to. Uh, Reconnect with Peter now, as you can hear the beeping going on. Right, not looking very good. So uh, let's, uh, I'm going to move on to 
the show post that you'll all be able to look at and you'll all have looked at in order to get this show. There's still a section... Oh, hang up, Matt, that's not going to work. There's still a section uh, in the show post on the Biblical Worldview Summit and the Great Commission course. Now, these don't start until the 4th of January. So you still have time if you want to attend either of those courses or both. Uh, I think the Great Commission course covers the Biblical Worldview Summit as well. Um, the link is in, or there's a number of links. There's uh, the details of the courses. And then there's where you can... Um, I'll try Peter again quickly. And then there's uh, where you can sponsor somebody else to uh, attend. Then we've got a, a catalogue for the Biblical Worldview Summit and there's a video on the Biblical Worldview Summit. So if you do want to assist with that at all, then please get in contact with Peter at peter at frontline.org.za. And uh, that being said, uh, I can't seem to get Peter back, so I'm going to wrap up the show now. So I want to thank... Here we go, playing the cues, closing music. So I want to thank all of you for listening to Peter's Christmas message 2023 unto us a child is born Peter and I'll be back with you next Tuesday and until then folks I hope you have a wonderful Christmas day a wonderful week and bye for now